0: That apostolic kind of ministry. We know that that apostolic ministry lays foundations, it builds foundations, but I believe part of that as well is connecting the, the foundation roots to, to the visible fruits, if that makes sense. In, in other words, many of us, we preach not only in our church, churches, but as an apostolic people going into different churches and in particular different nations, I think part of the challenge for us is to recognize the state of the church, the kind of culture, the feel, and sometimes the lack in the church, and be able to connect it back to what in the foundation needs to be adjusted to bring what Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel message has the power to radically transform anyone everywhere over all time. And yet sometimes it doesn't happen. And I think that apostolic kind of insight or discernment is to be sensitive to the fruit that we're seeing in churches, in ministry, in nations. I'm convinced part of that engineering thing is that every problem is a gospel problem. Yeah. And every solution will be a gospel solution. So, so not how do we preach a different gospel, but how do we emphasize aspects of the gospel to produce the fruit that's lacking in certain cultures, countries, demographics if that makes sense and uh, as part of that journey uh, started a couple of months ago I was in Zimbabwe had the privilege of speaking at their their national elders times there was a team meeting I'm not a regular to Zimbabwe so it's sometimes easier coming in from the outside that's why I love translocal ministry because I never knew I had an accent until you go into another country and you realize you're the one who speaks funny You know, in your own culture, you don't recognize many of your cultural quirks because that's just how everyone does it. And one of the beauties of translocal ministry, by that I mean ministering out of the local into a different area, is you see with a different set of eyes many things that they wouldn't necessarily see. And so it's part of the discussion at the Zimbabwe team time, asking for feedback. And one of the, the, the dominant themes we heard over and over again, which we've heard many times, is, is the issue around poverty, poverty, poverty. There's a, I mean, Zimbabwe is one of the poorest nations in the world. You can understand that. A couple of weeks after that, I, went, uh, I was in, in Pakistan. This was our third visit. And I mean, I come from Zululand. Poverty is a big thing there as well. But I've never been exposed to such a level of not just poverty, but this is the point I don't want to get to. P- poverty is really something on the outside, it's a lack of resources. When poverty becomes your identity, that's the problem. And, and that more than anywhere else. Now, I mean, it's the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. So I'm not saying it's easy to be a Christian in Pakistan. I mean, it's under Islamic rule, but there are many Christians. And in fact, we've done outdoor evangelism. You can preach out in the open as long as you don't say anything derogatory to Islam. You can actually preach the gospel. There's many churches. There's Christian communities. And yet, if I had to count every time I heard the term, but, but we the poor persecuted Christians of Pakistan. We are the poor persecuted Christians of Pakistan. And so the identity has become... Because we're in an Islamic nation, no one wants to employ, so every Christian has to be poor. And so uh, the expectation coming in and arranging some training with the different pastors is obviously you coming in from the outside, you've got, you got to pay for all their transport, you got to pay for the venue, you got to pay for the lunch, you got to pay for the accommodation, you've got to probably give them an offering. Just to... Even the Christian schools, because we don't want to send our kids to an Islamic-based school, I get that. But how could you ever charge a Christian child... To, to go to a Christian school. No, no, the schooling must be free and the uniform must be free and the daily lunch must be free and the books must be free, the satch, everything must be free. And I ended up saying, well, how do the Christians ever learn to trust God? The, the identity has become that thing. Now, Jesus said something interesting. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, that's a poverty on the inside, that, that spirit of, of lack or helplessness or I'm not enough or... or And yet, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It's not blessed to stay there, but it's fine to start there. But Jesus was saying, here's the blessing. There's a kingdom that I'm going to tell you about that's going to deliver you. The blessing is not staying in the poor in spirit. The blessing is in this kingdom that I'm about to tell you about. And, And the gospel of the kingdom of God should be breaking people out of that poverty thinking and mentality And into the wonder of the kingdom. But now traveling around, I'm thinking, Lord, how is it? that I mean, I work in Zululand predominantly, worked in, in some other poorer nations, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, look at Pakistan. Why is it that so many thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians and churches have heard the gospel, and they know their sins are forgiven, they know they're going to heaven, and yet are living with this poverty mentality on the inside? Of course, the, the challenging thing is every revelation of God and every revelation out there actually gives you a bit of a mirror to your own soul. And I began to realize maybe it, it manifests itself very obviously in some of those nations, but some of those very things I, I see in my own heart as well, that that inner sense of poverty sometimes, am I enough desperate? Help, Lord, when are you coming to rescue me? And so I began to, to, to think and pray Lord, what about the gospel have I, we, maybe us, not been preaching well enough that people know their sins are forgiven, they know they're going to heaven, and yet they're living with this sense of poverty mentality? And then it kind of struck me, and it might seem so obvious to you, but it takes a while obviously for me to, I just, I realized probably for the first time with clarity that the gospel does not start with Jesus. Now, please hear my heart. I'm in no way saying that Jesus is not the center of the gospel. But the reality is the gospel never started with Jesus. John three sixteen, we know it. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And the, the realization that actually even the Great Commission, going to all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The gospel begins... With a father. Out of the love of the father, he sent his son, and Jesus did. He paid for the gospel. His death, his resurrection, his ascension is what then brings us forgiveness of sins and eternal love. But as I began to ponder that, second realization was actually the gospel doesn't finish with Jesus' resurrection and ascension either. Because Jesus himself said, I am the way The truth and the life, nobody comes to the Father, not to heaven, to the Father, but by me. So in some ways in my mind, suddenly I realize here's a, a loop that has to be closed. It starts with a Father in heaven. It's all about the wonder of what Jesus has done. But Jesus himself said, I'm doing this not just to give you forgiveness of sins and a ticket to heaven. I'm doing this to open a door so that you can be connected to my Father. Now, why is that important? Well, as I began to ponder that, I realized poverty mentality has got nothing to do with money. Well, it manifests itself in terms of money, but a poverty mentality, that thinking of desperation, that thinking of of uh, is actually rooted in value, not money. It's value. And when you don't feel valuable on the inside, then it manifests itself in in a poverty, hold back, desperate, I can't, I'm not enough. And what we know is that value is something that's imparted by a good father. Good fathers impart value. It's part of our identity. Security value should be imparted from a heavenly father. And I began to realize one of the things that, that's been lacking in my preaching of the gospel, particularly into some nations, we've emphasized Jesus. Now, I want to say something that if you tell Tyron, I might get into trouble, but please hear my heart. I realized in, I realized in, this is my understanding, so not yours, my understanding is there's, there's something about being Jesus-focused, this is what I felt God say to me, be Jesus-focused but not Jesus-exclusive if that makes sense. Now we are at Jesus' focus. He is the centerpiece. He is the living stone. He is the way, the truth. He is the center. But there's one thing being Jesus' focus. There's another being Jesus' exclusive. Now I need to realize that we need to be connecting people more to what it means to, to be loved by an incredible Heavenly Father. And then it began to make sense because in so many of the nations I've just mentioned, they're not known for good father, family, and in many cases, in our nation, I've been into churches trying to do leadership training, and and at the end, lovingly, graciously, some of the pastors have come to me and said, well, thanks, but actually, we don't want to do any more leadership training because we don't want leaders in the church. I'm like, what? said, so, well, we raised a leader and we started a home group with them, and well, then they just split the church, took their home group, and started their own church. So thanks, but no thanks, we don't want leaders. And then we get to realize the issue is not leadership, the issue is sonship. If you're raising and releasing leaders without an understanding of fathering and son, which is what the Bible's built on, then actually he has a competitive spirit. I want to outdo you, I want to steal from you, rather than a, a father who wants to see a son succeed and a son who wants to honor a father. I want to read, if you do have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. It says, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to 8, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to read this just because, for me, this is a beautiful passage that emphasizes The riches. Now we talk about, remember, how do we break that poverty kind of mentality on the inside? Well, when we read about the Father, the Father is everything but poor. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse number four, for He chose us. Part of a a poverty type thing is always neglect. Neglect. We are neglected. We are forgotten. Well, we have a Father who chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. I love this church. I love the NCMR tribes because I know when we got here, we had some breakfast fruit lavished on us and I'm sure just now we're going to have lunch. Lavished. When last did you use that word in a sentence? Maybe try it out. Over this next couple of days, just lavish somewhere along the line. We have a heavenly father who wants to lavish us. Yet why? I mean, let me pick on Sam. We actually live in a, in a, in a beautiful street in a lovely home that was made available to us like 18 years ago and we're still living there. But I imagine to myself, imagine I mean, morning when, when all the rich neighbors are off to work and, and, and there's my son Sam standing at the, at the end of the driveway, hands out. I mean, I can imagine the, the neighbors driving past thinking like, "Yay, yeah, this poor kid. I mean, what's happening at home? And, and imagine after two days looking at my son begging at the end of the driveway, no longer thinking about the son, they start thinking about the father. What kind of father does this boy have that his son stands at the end of the driveway every day begging? Do you know, speaking to some, we're trying to connect with, with Pakistan people in Richards Bay. I, used, I was challenged by God who asked me why we, we, we go to Pakistan, and it's like, you know that righteous heart? Oh, God, I love the people of Pakistan. And then he says, well, why don't you love them in Richards Bay? I'm like, hello, there's none in Richards Bay. And then I realized all the cell phone shops are full of people and all the barbers. <laughs> so now, we, so now we're, trying to, uh, we're trying to connect with Pakistan people in, uh, in Richards Bay. Um, now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Anyway, the point. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing that I discovered is, is the kingdom of the world we know is radically different to the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to this issue of value, we have a desperate need for it. Anyone does. I mean, it, that's our, our security, our honor, our glory. It's, there's a need inside of us that we want to get it full. So now we face the option of two kingdoms now in the kingdom of the world, your value will be. I mean, you, you measured it through success, through money, through fame, through fortune, through looks, through strength, through uh, all of those things. The problem with the world, you scroll through social media and it does not nothing for your value because everyone else is having an amazing day and you're in your pajamas on the couch and you realize, well, Look, cook, what am I doing wrong? And there's always someone richer, more beautiful, stronger, all of those sort of things. So, the world, the past, the voices of the past, that voice of condemnation inside of you, there's plenty of voices that actually try and run down your value. As an exercise, I actually started asking people if you had to measure yourself, how valuable do you feel out of 10? 10 out of 10 is like everything, nought out of 10 is like worm food. Like, where would you put yourself? You know, the average is somewhere between three and four. Now here's what I realized. Valuable people live valuable lives and they add value to others. But if you don't have any sense of value, what actually happens is you begin to shrink your world down to that low sense of value while you're desperately trying to find value from the world. But now here's the big thing the kingdom of the world is all about, it. we know it's a it's a kingdom of earning amazing thing about Jesus is that we know the stories. He was baptized. He's in the water. He comes out of the water. And remember, heaven was open and the dove came down. And then the voice of the father said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Later, a couple of years later, he's with James, John, Andrew. They go up on the mountain and, uh, and the, his clothes begin to shine and Peter doesn't know what to do. Shall we build you a tent, whatever. And then out of the cloud, the voice of the father says, this is my son, whom I love, with him, I'm well pleased. Beautiful that when Peter wrote about this encounter, so he was there, right there, our witness in uh, 2, Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 17. 2 Peter 1, verse 17. It says about Jesus, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him, I'm well pleased. Don't you love that? It says, he received honor and glory. Now, here's the problem. The poverty mentality is basically still living in a system of trying to earn that value and security and identity from the world around us. If we don't know how to receive it, Jesus received it from the voice of the Father. He took it, went in, and that became life. That's where his glory and honor and value came from. And if we're not preaching a gospel that connects people back into the value of the Father so that they receive it from the Father, they'll begin to live lives constantly trying to earn it from the world. Now, I know if you've gone and preached into different cultures, contexts, especially third world type areas, some of the hard, the battles we come up against is big time hierarchical type leadership models. Uh, I mean, I've India, Pakistan, I mean, that, that's next level in terms of, I think they worship the pastor more than they worship Jesus. Literally, it's, it's, I mean, you'll walk in the door, obviously 45 minutes late because we don't need to worship. People worship, pastors come in late and, and you arrive and, and uh, you walk down, I mean, they'll stop worshiping just to line up, just to flowers and petals. And, and in the beginning, I'm like, what the heck are you touching me? No, no, the people wanna touch the feet of the holy man of God. It's like, hello. And I mean, then we're up on the stage on the couch. Everyone else is sitting on the floor, of course, but you up on the couch and you've got garlands and and uh, and it's just all, me- why, why, Why is there this thing inside of men of God who, who need this kind? Of, because if you don't receive it, you're gonna earn it. And And even in our ranks, even in my heart, Lord, this is it, why do you wanna preach well well, I want to glorify God, but if I haven't got that right, then I'm going to do it to impress because I'm looking for honor. I'm looking for glory. I'm looking for value, and I'm going to keep on looking for it unless I can receive it from our Father in heaven, and that's why the gospel connects us into the Father, and I just want to share briefly a couple of of moments. I want to the Father speaks like He spoke over Jesus. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. In the same way the Father is still speaking, but we have to help people hear the value that the Father sees in us. And I jotted down a couple of them. Number one, God communicates. He speaks value through the way we are created. Now, I don't want to get controversial. And you know the Scriptures, we were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God who made them. I'm an engineer, we did science, adversity, all of those things, and, and, and I was always taught, Nigel Day-Lewis, right up front, Genesis 1, 2, 3 is not an engineering manual on how to create an earth, okay? It's more about who created than how created. So I don't want to box about, was it 24 hours a day? But I am saying this, if we get seduced into, basically, you're a version 2 monkey. I mean, you know, we kind of evolved, 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 and now I'm just a very advanced. That sounds clever scientifically, but think about what it does to your value. I'm valuable because I know my Father in heaven created me. That inherently puts value. So sometimes, remember, wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Wisdom sounds clever now, but what does it give birth to down the line? And we've got beautiful scientific theories which sound clever, but what does it give birth to? What it's giving birth to is people who don't know their value Because we've sold them, or the world has sold them on this idea that they're just an evolved ape. But more than just at a human race level, I wrestled with those insecurities, you know. And I've shared my story before, I won't go through it again. I I traveled with Bruce McAlpine many years, and and for me, he's like the, in my mind, he was the NCMR prototype in some ways. You know, I was always like, we're supposed to be sitting on the front row and you're supposed to be like governmental and you're supposed to be opinionated. And, and I'm like, I love what you said about being bullied into extrovertness. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know what that means. I'm an introvert and I want to sit in the back row if I had my choice. And I remember wrestling the insecurities like, God, you've made a mistake. We travel together, we've got the same calling, we're doing the same job, but you big and have done everything and you confident and you bold and you're extroverted and I'm the one holding the camera, taking the photo of you with everyone. <laughs> and and I, I remember when God spoke, remember that famous Jeremiah 1.5? It says, um, let me read it because it's just, it's beautiful. He said, uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And and that question I felt drop in my heart. Which comes first, your DNA or your calling? Which is such a weird question. I thought it must be a God question. And, And when the realization that comes, no, no, before I formed you, I knew you. And that was before I fashioned your DNA, introvert, extrovert, tall, short, whatever, male, female, whatever. I already knew exactly what I wanted you to do. So first came our calling, our purpose, and then God perfectly created my DNA to perfectly fulfill His perfect plan. And when that just, oh, actually, I can relax, I can celebrate who I am, just because God made me this way on purpose. Do you know, the Old Testament, they say that Solomon's temple was the most expensive building ever built. Just, I mean, it plastered the walls with gold. And I mean, it cost billions, apparently. We are that temple now. Number one, value is just by we way we created. Jesus, secondly, He spoke. Now, remember, He is the living words. I mean, Jesus speaks, light happened, creation happened, and, and Jesus spoke three times. And, and I've shared this story as well, but it, it impacted me. In, in Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus said to His disciples, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more? Valuable than they. In other words, your stress about provision, about money, about daily bread, about all of these things is not rooted in finance. The root of the issue is not knowing your value to the Father. When the value issue is settled, peace in terms of provision will flow. It's not a money issue primarily, it's a value issue. Remember, Rest. When this be- was becoming life to me, I'm a, I'm a sit in the back corner of the plane coming to go. That's where introverts sit, right window seat. I can do ten hours, don't need a bath. I can s- just quietly sit in my corner, read my book. All the lonnies, they sit in the front. You know, first class. But that's where the lonnies sit. Me, I'm quite content. Just I'm a, I'm a back of the plane kind of guy. And when God began to minister this thing, friend, maybe in your eyes you see yourself as a three or four out of ten. I see you as a ten. I see you as valuable. And then I checked in from Bogota down to Sao Paulo, I think it was, and, and they just gave me a business class upgrade. Oh. And I'm sitting as a Lani in the front with this back massager that's working for six hours and drinking my alcoholic-free champagne. And I mean <laughs> and and God saying, value, value. God wants to get it into our hearts that's been so programmed by the value of the world, you are valuable to the Father. Matthew 10, 29 to 31. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more. Value. So now he's connecting. First he was connecting provision and value. Now Jesus is connecting fear and value. You're living a life of fear, worry, concern, safety, South Africa, crime. Am I safe? Can I sleep well at night? What's the issue? Not the crime rate. Your value. Value. When when the value issue is settled before God, that's when peace. But it's got to be received. We can't earn it. It's got to be received. Third, of course, is uh, it's just the price tag that, that we carry. The value that we are to the Father, and, and it's amazing because we were slaves to sin, sold out, betrayed Him, in slavery to sin, under the master of sin's death and Satan, and yet valuable enough to a father to pay the ultimate price. And, and parents, you know, I mean, I would, I would give my life for one of your kids, but I'm not giving my son's life for any of you. Sorry for you. I mean let's just be real. It's it's any parent would know you'd sacrifice yourself, not your kid. Ultimate price. We, we we bought a piece of land years and years back, like twelve years ago when we when we moved on to our church site. We were told for years there's no worship sites in Richards Bay, long list, don't bother. It's And so one day, long story short, lady phoned me. She was in our church. She was working in town planning and she said, Brent, why don't you buy this church site? I said, No, there's there's no church site. She said, No, Brent, you're wrong because I work here and I'm looking at it. Long story, oops, I'm landing. Long story short, it's a tender process. If you know how it works nowadays, you can't just buy something from the municipality. It has to be in the newspaper, public tender. The municipality valued the land at 600,000. It was just 6,000 square meters, but 600,000. But how valuable to us, knowing anyone else can bid one chance to buy the last site of worship in town. And I mean, we prayed, God, give us a word. We felt what David said. Remember when he got that land, no, I demand, I'm paying the full price. Like, great Lord, what's the full price? We, we paid everything we had, just over a million bucks. So, so the municipality said it's worth 600. We paid over a million We won the ten about four hundred (laughs) and fifty rand. Thank you, Jesus. Point point is this. Point is this. The world will value you maybe three, four, whatever it might be out of ten. The father paid based on the value he sees in you. We've got to let that get into our hearts. Okay, now I'm almost done. Anyway, fourth one. I love this one. You're so valuable to the father that it's not just out of slavery but it's dining room table, part of the family. The wonder of what it means, and, and this is such an obvious one, and yet the implications of this one are so huge. What does it actually mean? The father wants us in his family. Everyone asks me how many kids I've got, and we always, I, I say Two and a half. Because I've got Sam and, and his younger brother, Adam, and uh, we've got a semi adopted daughter. My wife, she's always naughty. She says, I've got two sons and an illegitimate child. I was like, You can't say that, wife. <laughs> so, but long story short, she, she, uh, about 15 years ago, there was this young little girl when, when Sam and they were still at primary school and, and her mom had abandoned her. Her dad worked in the docks all the time and she had failed two years and was going nowhere. And my wife realized, hey, this little girl needs a mom, needs homework. Homework became, come to our home in the afternoon, became weekends, became holidays, became eventually she moved in. Just, that's it, I'm moving in. And so she's lived with us in our house for the last 10 years. Eventually, her dad actually got saved, and he had a flat outside on our house. But, but she's lived inside. She's getting married soon, and it's an absolute delight. But she got this. She got this thing. I'm a child in this house. And I'll tell you why, because, I mean, if I came to your house, I mean, if I was staying with Grant, and them, I'd like to ask, hey, could I have some water? Could I maybe have this? Children don't do that wish it was only what It's like, kids don't do that. They go straight into any cupboard because what's yours is mine. I'm part of the family. It's ours. You know, if I came and stayed, maybe it's Dan, I'm going to stay for like three or four days. Like, could I help with the cooking? Or, no, not kids. No, 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 no. Mom, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, supper, bring it on. And if I, I mean, if I stayed longer, maybe we're staying two, three weeks at your house. It's like, hey, can I contribute. Maybe like pay some rent. <laughs> not a chance. I need pocket money. You know, the, the, thinking, the thinking of a child is very different. When you're a member of the family, it's very different. I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. I've got a sneaky suspicion that revival won't just come on a floaty cloud. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to run it down. But it's going to come with a growing sense of responsibility as sons and daughters of the living God. I love that prayer that we prayed. We saw breakthrough begin to happen in our city at a government level when we felt we are 100% responsible for the state of our city. 1 Timothy 2 tells us, you know, before you pray for the missionaries in the past, the first pray for kings and those in authority. We are responsible for the state of our city, and we've got to pray for them. And we're responsible for the government in this nation. It's, it's that And I think God's glorified when His sons and daughters begin to carry more that responsibility. But we'll only do it when we sense the value that He's put inside of us. Anyway, last one then. We've spoken about value through the way we created, value through the way Jesus spoke over us, value through the price that was paid, and I never even gave you the Scriptures there. Um, The last one is an interesting one because, I, I mean the coffee here is amazing. I think our coffee at Outlook Church may be slightly better, but it's, 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 it's almost the same. Now, now, I love the fact that coming here, uh, you can get coffee free. What a pleasure. I mean, that's enough reason right there just to come over and over again. If you went to mug and bean or your favorite coffee shop down the road, you'll pay 35, 40 bucks, whatever it is. Sometimes at the airport, it can be a bit more. Flying back from Pakistan the other day, Sometimes you need one coffee, sometimes you need coffee, you know that feeling, and, and so it's 124 rand. Wow. You think, like, "Yo, okay, but listen, hey, still worth it. But here's the point. Here's the point. Essentially, the coffee was the same. Whether it's here at church, free, mug and bean, 35 bucks, Dubai airport, 124. Coffee's the same. What's changed? The environment has changed. In that in this environment, coffee's free. That environment, 35, that environment, 124. Your environment actually determines your value as well. Okay. And now, the point behind this is uh, Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Where I come from, they fix potholes, not that there are any. If there were potholes where I come from, they'd use gold to fix them. It's just the kind of environment that I come from and I'm going back to. I know it sounds weird, but our citizenship is in heaven. As a member in Christ, covenanted in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, our primary passport is not South African, primary passport is of the kingdom of God. This is the environment that the Father has brought us into. Our environment determines our value. So, bottom line, please don't hear what I'm not saying. We are a Jesus-focused people. But remember, the focus of what Jesus did was to get us connected to the Heavenly Father. Good fathers impart value, security, and identity. Bad fathers rob their children of it and send them into the world to try and find it. Let me close with one little story. I had uh, this, uh, this lesbian couple who were in the church, they were married like seven years or something, and, and, and sitting down trying to unpack her story, she, she said to me, well, the problem was my dad only wanted a rugby-playing son. That's all he wanted. And all he got was me. And so he raised me as a rugby-playing son and not as a daughter. So all she ever knew was play rugby, be tough, be a man. And now, of course, she's, she's grown into adulthood and, and really confused in terms of her identity. And, and she was broken. And, and I remember looking at her and I remember saying, in love and kindness, you've had a bad father. And your bad father has led you into this mess. The good news is I want to tell you about your glorious heavenly father who's going to lead you back out. The gospel of the kingdom of God connects us to the value of the father. And we need that. We're going to break poverty mentalities, not just out there in the nations, but here in our own hearts. It's going to come from the value of the Father. Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be able to call you Father. And I know we we do it and, and we're familiar with it. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a fresh glimpse, a fresh revelation on what it means to be connected to a heavenly Father. Jesus, you received glory and honor, your security, identity, value. It came from the voice of your Father saying, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit at work right now, that you would give us that revelation. This is not revealed to you by any man, but by my Father in heaven. Father, would you reveal the value that you speak over us, the value you see in us. Father, that we would be valued by our Father and repent right now of allowing ourselves to be valued by the world. Father, that we would repent right now of trying to earn value from a broken world when you freely give it to us. Father, we repent of a performance mentality, of a begging mentality, of this desperate mentality, of this neglect mentality. Father, you've demonstrated and spoken value over our lives. Father, let it go deep into our hearts. Deep, deep into our hearts. Thank you that we are so valuable to you. In Jesus' name. And God's people saying, amen. Amen. that's that's why he's one of my favorite